0: In today's podcast, we welcome Dr. Ivy Pait, one of my dear friends in Osaka, as well as colleagues of me and Leticia in Osaka University. Dr. Pait brings something very special into the table of early career life as a person with PhD because she was and is working in the industry. Welcome to the Endless Possibilities Podcast. And thank you very much for joining. We are so honored. Um, I must say, Leticia, Ivy listens to our podcast as well. So I'm pretty sure she has ideas of what is about to happen.
1: Yes. Hello, Isa. Hello, Leticia. I'm so happy to be joining your podcast in this episode. As Isa said, yes, I am your fan. (laughs) I've been... (laughs) I've been listening I'm a regular listener since the start, so because I'm a good friend of course i I, I, I support all of your activities <laughs> friends yeah, but at the same time, I'm really interested in the stories of the people you you invite in in the mm. podcast and um they are interested in grad school or are pursuing grad school, so I want to know their story and I'm also silently rooting for everyone because you know we know. <laughs>
2: yes Uh, yes, thank you hello ivy thank you for joining us it's like a good good uh, to know that you are uh, one of our listeners so (laughs) welcome again to our podcast and my very first question is can you tell us briefly your academic background from your bachelor's leading to your phd And like, uh, what was your major and your specialization?
1: Okay, yes, so, well, it was really, you know, it was uh, quite a journey (laughs) if you look back. So, I've been in school for almost 11 years. Hmm. So, five years was for getting the chemical engineering degree uh, back in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. So, my training was really more on becoming an engineer, uh, designing chemical plants, processes, and all of that. And I did uh, some biofuels-related research at that time. And in the Philippines, you know, when when you are an engineer, you have to get this uh, license. So we have the the board exams. So that's what we call Mm -hmm. it. So while I was reviewing for the board, I took an RA job in a university. And it continued, well, for one and a half year. And it was where uh, my interest in microbiology and biotechnology actually took off. Mm -hmm. so and that's the reason why i eventually pursued my master and later on phd uh, in engineering major in uh, frontier biotech
2: so i have a follow-up question uh how long does it take to get the board certification because it seemed like you uh, you had a very long time doing the ra job Mm -hmm. so how long does it take since you graduate until you get the certificate
1: it only takes actually a few months for the review period. I cannot recall anymore okay. <laughs> because it's been years back. I think I reviewed uh, for the boards for uh, half a year. Okay. And then you you take the exam and then you wait a couple of months before they release um, the, the results. But um, at that time, I was not really just, you know, staying an, as an RA for um, while waiting for, for the… For the exam? Yeah, for the exam. Okay. Um, I, I got the, the license, but then I continued. I chose to continue as an oh. RA. I didn't pursue an, an engineering job
2: at the time. May I ask why?
1: So I think, uh, it I don't really know. I don't remember my mm. thought process, I guess. Part of me um, wanted to finish the contract. Cause it, mm. and, and when I start something, I don't want to leave in the middle, especially in research. You feel like, oh, I need to do... I need to to do something. I mean, something needs to be done first, you know, before you just leave. And I I don't know. I don't really, really recall (laughs) what happened there
2: anymore. (laughs) And I have another Mm follow-up question. I don't know, Aiza, if you have something to ask before. Go ahead. Go ahead. So then, uh, okay, you said that uh, made you be interested in the biotech field. But then I was, you can tell us just briefly, I was to transition from like from the... A position and then going to a master's and then a PhD. So um, you mean uh, the process of transitioning? Uh, I mean kind of like motivation. A uh, motivation? Yes, some, something like that. Because, of course, you could have stayed in university, for example, as a mm. lecturer. So why did you uh, uh, chose to continue to, the to graduate post-graduate st- Yeah. Mm.
1: So so actually, um, even if I was in engineering, <clears throat> I I was already interested in a lot of like bio related topics like microbiology, industrial microbiology. So those are the things that I really enjoy. So when I was pursuing this this uh, RA job, so it was a lot of work with bacteria and um when when the project was ending. So of course you have to at the end of every project you have to discern okay, what should I do next. Mm. So at that time, so my my boss was um have this close relationship with my professor in um, in the graduate school and they were explaining there's this program there is five-year program in English why don't you pursue that and at that time mm-hmm. I was like of course uh, looking for the next job and at the same time um, just grabbing whatever opportunity that comes so mm-hmm. I just basically took the test and uh, and then I passed so I was like okay what if this this chance never comes again so uh-huh. do we need to like overthink this do I wh- what will I do with a PhD after I didn't really you know To be honest, at that Mm -hmm. time, like, Mm. I want to be a PhD because I want to be an academic. And it was not like that. So I was just grabbing the chance when it came.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So just to clarify as well, your master's and your PhD was like a straight program, right? Because Mm. you only mentioned um, one specialization from master's to PhD. Yes, it's a straight program. Mm-hmm.
2: so just to recap your you have a foundation in uh, chemical engineering and then a uh, postgraduate specialization in uh, biotechnology
1: yeah so like looking back i was like why did i pursue a masters and physics? oh okay so there's this opportunity and you know i remember i had a conversation with my mother at the mm-hmm. time like i was like five years? Am I going to Japan for five years? It's so long. I mean, I'm not sure what should I do. I mean, I was so immature to be honest at that time. And she yeah. was the one pushing me, just just, just go for it and think later. And I was like, mm. okay. So maybe, I mean, comparing myself and to my other friends who were really, you know, so deep into the process, researching this sensei, what does this lab do? What, what should I yeah. do? Mm-hmm. I, I, to be honest, I didn't really. Mm. <laughs> I mean, really spent a lot of time in, in those things i was like okay it sounds cool okay this 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 lab this and say sounds nice and okay let's try that's it mm
0: mm-hmm.
1: well
2: that's okay. very interesting and i think so far is the only experience that we had in the podcast of a person that, uh, how the person ended up uh, <laughs> in postgraduate uh, school. That's it's, right. Yeah, it's very so interesting. Yeah,
0: yeah. because uh, in Ivy's case, she found the opportunity while she was doing um, her My RA job. job. Mm. Yeah. 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 Yes. So Ivy, in this season, um, we we are by the way we are now in season two in the podcast, and in this season we talk about early career life where we look at our career two to three years after graduation. So you already talked about um, your PhD career. Um, could you share a little background of the job that you took um, immediately after graduation? Okay, so um,
1: after after. So after graduation I, I entered a Japanese um food ingredients company. So because um, you know, since since I was a chemical engineering student, I was always imagining myself really working for the industry. So um at in the last year of my PhD, um, staying as postdoc or or um finding an academic position was really at the last of, of my choices.
0: Okay.
1: So this job in the company I worked there for, for 2 years. Um I did uh, multiple roles. So the first uh, first year I spent as a researcher in the in- ingredients um group. So it was a lo- it was not as uh, it was not as complicated research as we did in the university. So it was more of a support for product development and then in the second year they moved me from research to um over- overseas business development. So I was working more uh, in the technical um, sales kind of thing. So mm-hmm. explaining uh, the products, how, how do the, because we were working with uh, functional ingredients at that time. So how will this product affect food? What kind of effect will this have in the body or mm-hmm. in, in the skin in terms of cosmetic ingredients? So it was a lot more of technical presentations and uh, dealing with the clients and uh, managing overseas relations. Mm-hmm.
2: And how did you find this job then?
1: So this job um, was, this company was introduced to me by actually my lab mate. So it was through my network. Mm-hmm. So at the last year of my PhD, I did the traditional job hunting in the same way as Japanese students do. So you, you prepare your CV, apply to the company mm-hmm. and go through a lot of tests and interview. But it, it I was unlucky at, at the time so I and then I have this lab mate and she introduced her company and, and yeah it started from there
2: so it was by the senior system like senpai system that they recommend your junior to your kind of boss yes and uh, also
1: my sensei also pushed a little bit so uh, he con- he connected me with that company of course I mean sensei recommended me to that company but then I still had to go through the yeah, interview and uh, all the stuff
2: yes uh, I don't know if Mm, you want to share that you just said that you were not lucky with the um, the first trial yeah. or the f- first strategy. Or can you share why you you say so,
1: that? Yeah, so I, I think looking back at that time, you know, when we were PhD students, we were mostly concerned of our papers. Mm. I mean, that, mm-hmm. oh, how, okay, the focus was like, okay, let's just do this experiment. I mean, everything is failing. I don't have time to think about the next step. And yes. thinking about the next step is also scary. So let's just keep on pushing it back until, you know, it's almost too late. So yeah. at, at that time, I, I, I think there was a lack of preparation and understanding of how it is in Japan, firstly. Mm-hmm. And so we didn't have enough time to look, to know where to look and what kind of companies are out there and at the same time there's also this language barrier problem so a lot of the the procedures are in japanese and then i didn't really invest so much time into learning the language because i as i was trying to convince myself oh i'm here for for the phd (laughs) like the language can something like and all those other (laughs) excuses if i may say so i think it's a combination of that that i mean that i missed uh, a lot of uh, opportunities that should have been there
2: okay
0: Mm, i i'm curious uh, in your lab what is the percentage of the people going into the industry and the people going into the academe you mean the japan including the japanese
1: students or just the international students in the lab
0: maybe everyone including the japanese students so the Japanese students definitely 100% are
1: in the industry. So even a lot the of PhD um at least those that I have directly interacted I mean met or overlapped with in the lab were really all in the industry. Even mm-hmm. even my my and also for the international students I think I'd say half half. Okay. So half mm-hmm. are, are in the industry, half have returned to, the con- to their countries to work um as a researcher in the university
0: or a professor. I was curious if if more people in your field go to the industry compared to maybe our field in the environmental mm. engineering side when, when if more people go to the academe. So I, I
1: get, because it's bi- biotech, so a lot of the Japanese, at least those who pursued masters, were really targeting pharma. Mm. Pharma or mm. food. So that's mm. the first. And then if, if, if uh, unluckily they don't get those jobs they would I, I I'm not sure they may maybe they will consider other positions, other industries but a lot of them are in pharma and biotech.
2: Ah uh, pharma and the uh, food mm. food. Yeah, from outside looking in it looks like your field at least compared to ours is a little bit more uh, malleable to or flexible to choose which uh, mm-hmm. path you want to take or at least I don't know because it seemed like in our field um, the possibilities to join the industry mm-hmm. after the PhD, not master's, but after the PhD is a little bit smaller than mm-hmm. the other way around. But that's maybe right. Maybe that's just...
1: It's actually interesting that you said that because, mm-hmm. so I just want to share. So after two years in that old company, I moved again into another company. Uh, we can talk about the, the motivation later. But mm-hmm. uh, in this current job, I've really interacted with a lot of PhDs and and the positions are different i mean not necessarily in research but some of them are working in the patent firms some of them are lawyers Mm. some of them are in business development and one is a ceo so i was i was like i was actually surprised that i mean there are really a lot a lot of um, diverse positions uh, with uh, for people with phd holders Mm.
2: that's kind of surprising Mm. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, for me as well, actually.
0: Yeah. mm mm-hmm. Now that you mentioned your uh, second job, because we that is still part of the early career scope, right? Because you moved two years after PhD graduation, mm. was that right? Yeah. Yes. So, um, could you briefly share um what motivated you to move to that second job and like the process of mm. moving as well? So interesting question. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> So, actually, it's a mix of um, personal reasons and um, person um, family-related reasons and uh, of um, my own career decisions. So, mm-hmm. firstly, um, my husband had to move from Osaka. So, the first company was in Osaka and he, mo- he had to move to Tokyo and I followed. So, mm-hmm. there was an opening to, to think about, should I keep my current job or should I find another job in, in Tokyo? So, I was thinking like Tokyo must have more opportunities than Osaka. And I didn't want to, you know, I mean, tie myself to, I mean, I didn't want to tie myself to, to this job. I want to, to see what's out there. So that's, that's one one. And um, the second motivation is more of, I wanted to transfer industry. Mm-hmm. So my first target really after graduation was um, something related to pharma or drug discovery because it's closer to my background and my training. But then as i said um i didn't really find the job i wanted during the first try mm. and so now i wanted to give it another go and i feel i feel like i'm more prepared for the job hunting process than i was before so i wanted basically to shift to the industry that i wanted
0: and it's mm. where I, i'm working now okay and this um you mentioned about being more prepared does it also have to do with the language like you, you do you feel more confident with the language now mm. in the, your second company compared to the <laughs> previous one? So, so actually, if you ask me what language I use, every day
1: it's really still English. Mm-hmm. I mean oh. I, I mean because my, my colleagues, my team in Japan are all bilinguals mm-hmm. and I work um, a lot with people in Europe, so it's still a lot of English. But during the job hunting process, maybe I, I could say I, I can write you know, better sentences to explain my, my, my background, my CV. And I could talk to recruiters more, in Japanese mm-hmm. at least. So they, I could find more people to help me find um, opportunities or introduce um, opportunities to me because I was able mm-hmm. to communicate better now in Japanese.
2: Uh, mm-hmm. If I may ask, what was the main difference between the first... Um, uh the first st- the strategy that you use to look for the first job uh, compared mm. with the with the second one
1: so that's the strategy was really the same as the the strategy of the new the shinsotsu so it, you call it shinsotsu in Japan the, the, the fresh grad so okay. they they make this uh, general cv or what you call entry sheet and then yeah. they submit it to the website of each company so the more mm. companies you, you send those cvs <laughs> to the, the bigger the chance right so mm. and of course if you don't really know where to look as i said so you 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 don't really submit to as much companies uh, mm. as, but in the second try i of course i, I also uploaded my cv in the, the the job hunting websites but the main change is that i worked with recruiters mm. Mm. so i guess yeah so i worked with recruiters and then they gave me some some positions some 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 positions and then of course or, yeah, to apply to and of course I, I applied to a lot and I failed many times before I
0: mm-hmm.
1: I found this this uh, other job got it
0: mm, your, your route is also interesting compared to I mean Leticia and me and then uh, compared to our previous guest um, she was mentioning about Twitter but then yours is also kind of special because it is it's really geared towards the Japanese style of job hunting Mm. and also to the Mm. industry I just I feel
1: sorry for the recruiter who actually so there's a backstory (laughs) so I was uploading my CV to a lot of websites and then Mm. usually recruiters will look at the, the CVs there and then they will um course email you and then introduce some positions and he introduced uh the current position to me Mm -hmm. and he was helping me check my cv and we had then i gave it to him he submitted it to the company and then finally the company said oh i'm sorry we don't we don't accept um recruiter introduced candidates can you please ask her to directly (laughs) apply to our website okay so so basically i applied to the website i got accepted and he didn't get anything oh my god (laughs) he didn't get any fee (laughs) So i just feel like oh wow.
2: i'm so sorry okay <laughs>
1: so, if he didn't mm. find me i wouldn't know about the position the but position. then i couldn't rep,
0: yeah i couldn't repay him because um. he didn't receive but he was anything. kind enough to tell you to apply directly to the company <laughs> yeah, right? you should, yeah. yeah you could have not like, if he, <laughs> yeah so, what do you think are the bad and the good sides of working in the in the industry as a person with PhD?
1: Oh, oh. <laughs> okay. So this is a trick question because I cannot really generalize what is good or a bad or bad in a company mm-hmm. as a person with quote unquote a PhD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because you know. First of all, everyone is different. Uh, what we value, what kind of work, work culture we like and what our motivations is for staying in the job is different. And mm-hmm. also, I don't know how to isolate like an um non-phd holders um oh. experience to a PhD oh. holder. So, the question is uh, a bit tricky, but having said that, for me basically what I see good in the industry um which is always which always has been my motivation is you are directly involved in product development and then you see the product reaching and having this you know direct impact to the customers mm-hmm. to the society so that's one thing that i like and then um since i entered the industry i think this is the second one it really stretched my myself i mean mm-hmm. it developed it helped me develop a lot of skill set aside from being a technical specialist which we we have we, we have become when we were in, you know, pursuing our PhD, we, we become expert into something. But in the industry, I learned more. Like I learned about business, law, mm-hmm. you know, IP, logistics and all of those things. You know, how to merge R&D and and business is really mm-hmm. something that I learned from, from being in the industry. And of course, there are, you know, some other aspects. I, 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 I like working In teams and interacting with a lot of people, a lot of department, you know, people sometimes tell me I'm a very social person and it's true. So I really, I really like working with, you know, (laughs) I really like working with a lot of departments. So Mm -hmm. I I have that. And of course, you know, practical aspects, salary, trainings and stability is also Mm -hmm. another thing.
0: Mm -hmm. So Ivy, you you said about um it's difficult to isolate. This is um at least to me interesting. I don't know maybe Leticia has a different view because in the academy, it's quite um clear the delineation between a, a, mm, a person with a PhD and a master. That's why we uh, yeah that's why we ask this question. Yeah. And I was quite surprised when you said that you could not feel the diff uh, Mm. like you cannot isolate so does this mean that in your workplace on a day-to-day basis there's um really no difference between a person with a phd and a person who doesn't have so degree yeah
1: so interesting so by difference what do you mean the difference in the workload or the difference in the treatment what the difference in in what what sense
0: Actually, in, in all of those, like you said, because let's say in the workload, maybe a person with a PhD will have more responsibilities. Yes. And in fact, um, one is to mentor the, mm. the ones that, that have the degree, for example. And in terms of treatment at least in the philippines yeah it's also different and the opportunities um, are also different but then again i'm also coming from the academic mm. side so i want i also don't i cannot speak for the people in the industry mm. in the philippines yeah and if you remember in our Uh, In our university, when we were still colleagues, the three of us, um, it was very clear in uni, right? That there's even the group for the masters (laughs) and the PhD, even different study groups, different (laughs) lab meetings for this group. So this kind of very clear delineation. So I I think maybe because
1: when we, we, we are PhD students in the lab, we have already spent a lot of time i mean mm-hmm. in the lab itself learning everything so you know i entered industry as a, 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 i mean i mean in an, a completely different field so i cannot really say mm-hmm. that okay i have at day one I, i'm an expert and i need i can like manage whatever whatever you're doing but of course i entered I mean the first company there was another phd student who was really in hired because of her expertise in the university so in that case mm. she was a bit she was i mean more of like given a research topic it's basically like academic style so she can handle that all by herself mm. and and maybe work i'm not sure maybe work with other other researchers but in my case it was like um a general position in japan if you know what i mean so rotation yeah. rotation was normal so mm-hmm. you you get to try a lot of different um things. So I guess no, I, I didn't really feel any like wall or, or I mean, okay, you're a PhD, I'm a PhD. But in terms of the, the number the, the the tasks. So the, the tasks mm. so I I guess the, the more they, they see I mean the 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 more the the more your boss sees your capabilities then the more they will give you responsibilities. So in my case, you know I mean my first job was really like not, not so comp- not, not so difficult. I mean I mean, I don't know if I'm using the right term, because at that time people don't know what are you capable of, right? Because they' mm-hmm. in the industry, they don't really judge you mostly because of your, the publications or something. Nobody knows what you want you can do. So they will start giving you simple tasks and the more that they see you excel or the more that you, you they discover your skills, then they will start to give you more and more um, variety of tasks. So as to the, the bad side, uh, not really the bad side, but I mean, just, just some things to think about when you enter the industry. One is, I guess, um, time. You're not as free as with time as you used to be when you are in the, in the academia. I mean, no one checks you, right? Your sensei does not really care. I mean, okay, you, yeah. and you come to the lab this time and then something but in the industry at least for me my computer is time. so oh. they will know when 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 did i turn mm-hmm. on my computer when mm-hmm. did I, so did how many time over were i mean overtime
2: did i do something like that so pre pre pandemic yeah
1: yeah B- both of the two companies i joined um, we have this system in the computer
2: that records Mm-mm. your work
0: yeah we had the same in the patent office so how does
2: it do when you go for lunch
0: so, you have to put in the system you're going for
2: lunch. So basically
1: it will just record um on and off. And then in the middle you just record okay from this this from one o'clock to two I took a break and something so that it will not be counted as part of your work hours.
2: Wow, I yeah, I did not notice the that they timed computers. I did and not then, know yeah. what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and
1: then yeah, as you know, like meetings can happen in whatever time, so you, you cannot really control that so much mm. okay And I guess one one other thing maybe because it involves a lot of interaction with different people different um, department yeah So sometimes you will ask uh, can you please do this can you I mean I think I think it's not just in the industry okay. and some people don't get the, the the deadlines and then they will like ignore you and then <laughs> you have to answer to your boss and you know basically just work with other people who have their own. Your own pace, yeah. I oh, and, and evaluation. I, I think it's different. in the, 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 I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing. But, of course, in the industry, you have these goals. Mm. Individ- like, you mm-hmm. will be evaluated, your KPI, basically. How will they evaluate your performance? So, for example, in your sales, if you're in sales, then you would have a, a sales target oh. and all those other things and, for example, if you're in R&D, what is your, your basically milestone? And if you meet that, then your bonus will be high. If you don't, so you don't have bonuses or of those like, ah, okay. like evaluation mm-hmm. points.
0: So. When Ivy mentioned about the time, this is one thing that maybe the uh, academic people enjoy, the freedom mm-hmm. to do things on your own, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> at, your own <laughs> at your own pace. Mm, unless yeah. you're in a very
2: strict or specific lab, that the professors are really, really uh, keen on ta- uh, like uh, keeping tabs on the students or the workers. We usually do not mm. have these time restrictions. Mm.
0: So Ivy, you told us many interesting things um, that are quite an eye-opener, especially to me and Tisha, mm. people from the academe. So... Um, we would like to ask for a parting message from you like um can you give tips especially to those people who are listening right now and thinking of um taking the industry route just like you did okay so maybe
1: what i can say is that if you have that voice if you hear that voice in, within you even just a very small voice that i'm telling you that you don't want to you know stay in in the academe then it's definitely okay it's it's really valid and the the best thing that you can do is really to start the job search early and don't wait until the last minute to think about um what you want for for the future for your future so i think that that is one and then the second thing is maybe don't be discouraged um looking at the job descriptions and 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 um and I mean, don't be discouraged if we, what the job description says is not matching, you know, your training <laughs> or oh, mm. oh no, oh no, this is not my PhD topic or something. It's <laughs> you should not be fixated with that because what they are showing you is basically their wish list. Mm. And it's impossible to find, I mean, that, you know, amazing person having all of those things that they're they're looking for. So i mean it's okay if even if if you're interested but it's not really a perfect match just just try and eventually maybe the company might open a position that they think would be matching your your current um um uh, i don't know i profile? forgot profile or yeah exactly
2: oh expertise
1: or ex- or yeah or experience or background mm, okay because I have a lot of friends who, you know, applied for position A. And after interview, I mean, of course, the company will say, oh, you're not really qualified. But there's this other position that might be a fit for you, you know. Mm. So, yeah, just just try. And then I think the last one would be, remember that when you are a PhD student, it's not only your specialty that that gets you know, um, trained. Basically, you don't mm. just learn the... the the, the topic, your research topic, you also develop a lot of transferable skills from the PhD training. So there's communication, there's negotiation, working with peers and managing projects, which is also one of the, the things that I'm really you know, doing a lot recently. So you have a lot of skills that you learn from the PhD training, not only the, the, the research thesis. So think about that. And uh, there's also a lot of
0: value for the industry in that. I think very brilliant tips. So thank you so much, Ivy, for joining us. Uh, We learned so many things that uh, we did not know at all in the industry. Thank you again for joining. Thank you, Isa. Thank you, Leticia. It was so nice catching
1: up. I really had a lot of uh, fun talking with you both. So, yeah, till the next time we chat again.
0: Yeah, thank Thank you. you.